Chris was mentioning, we got to close out Joshua today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Joshua. Uh, if you need a Bible, we got two uh, stellar-looking men here who are going to get one to you. So just put your hand up in the air, and they'll make sure that you get one so you can follow along with us this morning as we're going to be uh, covering the last two chapters, Joshua 23 and 24. So uh, make your way there. And as you are turning, I just want to... Uh, acknowledge something that hasn't necessarily been uh, fully acknowledged over the last several weeks, but if you've been here on a, a, a Sunday or throughout the week with our uh, weekday ministries, you've noticed that it w- looks like a, a winter wonderland around here. I mean, this is a majestic looking uh, uh, scene up here, and so I just wanted to give a, a huge shout out to uh, the design team, to, to Christine Miller and Tanya Knapp and their team for all the amazing work. They do this every single year. Um, but I never want that to be taken for granted. So if you were one of those who came in and helped in the many hours, and we're talking many hours of service just to make this place look uh, inviting for the Christmas season, just know we are so, so thankful for you. We, we have indeed, as I mentioned, reached the end of our study of Joshua. And remember, the, the main thrust uh, of the book at this point is over Uh, But these closing chapters serve as an epilogue of sorts uh, with the focus of shifting the concern to Israel's faithfulness to God in light of Yahweh's faithfulness to them. The question that is facing the Israelites at this point is in light of God's faithfulness to them, how will they respond And that is the concern at the front of Joshua's mind at this point. He is old, he is advanced in years, and truth is, he is about to go the way of the earth. He is about to pass. And as such, he gives his last charge, his final marching orders as the commander of God's people. And that's going to be the forefront of our study this morning is the focus of that final charge, these parting words that Joshua gives to the people of Israel. And so I want to invite you this morning to stand in honor of the public reading of God's word. We're going to read from a a few segments of chapters 23 and 24 this morning. So I'm going to actually read the entirety of chapter 23 and then I'll navigate you through chapter 24 as we Bring this to a close. So Joshua 23, starting in verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all of their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and he said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations I have already cut off, that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised to you. Therefore, be strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, 
And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages among them so that you associate with them and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the good ground that the Lord your God has given to you. And now, I am about to go the way of all the earth And you know that in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord your God will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Drop down to verse 14 of chapter 24. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers uh, served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jump down to verse 24. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. You may be seated. And let's pray as we ask for God's blessing on our study today. Indeed, Lord, we do now come to you asking for your kindness as we consider these final exhortations that Joshua has to give. These last two chapters, uh, unlike many of these chapters, is full of dialogue. It's not so much what happens so much as what is said. And so we pray that this morning you would help us to better understand the parting promises and the parting exhortations that Joshua gives as they are an extension of your marvelous grace that you give to your people to know what it looks like to remain faithful and committed to you. And that is our desire. 
But Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit to move in our hearts. Uh, that this would not just be lip service, but it would be ultimately uh, a reflection of our, <clears throat> of our hearts that so desperately need you. So we pray for your kindness on us as we seek to study and unpack your word together this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever considered what you would want your final words to be? A little bit of a hard thought to begin the morning, isn't it? But seriously, if you ever knew that you had just a little bit of time left to live and you had the opportunity to exhort and to encourage family, friends, the upcoming generation, do you know what you would tell them? Do you have at the forefront of your mind the encouragements, the challenges, the things you would want them to know? You know, earlier this week I had the privilege of <clears throat> calling a dear couple in our church who was celebrating 54 years of marriage. And whenever I'm talking to people like that, I, I'm always just interested to learn from them and <clears throat> ask them the question, hey, as somebody who has many more years to go until I get to 54 years of marriage, what would your advice be for how to have a strong and lasting and faithful marriage? And I appreciate when people don't have to take long and really dig deep, but it's at the forefront of their mind. They know exactly what they would say. As you look back over the course of your life, long or short, whatever it may be, what would you want to call other people towards? Because such is what we find here in these final two chapters of this book as we see an elderly Joshua preparing himself for the end. And what we find in his final exhortations to the people is a charge to remain faithful to the God who has been so faithful to them. In many ways, we see God using Joshua as an instrument of instruction. And so we see in Joshua's final words here, really, God's grace. God's grace in giving his people what they need to remain faithful. And that will serve as the main thrust of our study this morning as we look at these final two chapters about how God, in his grace, gives his people what they need to remain faithful, particularly faithful to him. You see, God is gracious to give us these final encouragements that are necessary to keep us running the race of faith with endurance. And so the points that we're going to use this morning are going to capture really the main thrust of these final two chapters. We're going to do this a little bit differently, uh, but these points are also going to reinforce many of the principles that we've hit throughout our study of the book. They're going to be reminders, they're going to be recaps of a lot of things that we've seen and not necessarily new to our study of Joshua. But likewise, my hope is that you will find these points to be both practical and applicational, all grounded in Joshua's final words to the Israelites. And so we're not going to have any separate points to ponder. These, these charges that we're going to see directly from the text are, are going to be, uh, they're going to serve us well. 
And we're going to let these final exhortations bear on our hearts as we close out our study of Joshua. And so I have five of them here for you this morning. Uh, I want you to consider five exhortations for remaining faithful to the Lord. And let's begin with this. First exhortation is this, to remember just how good God has been. To remember just how good God has been. This permeates both chapter 23 and chapter 24. In chapter 23, those opening five verses there, uh, the context for us is the fact that Joshua is indeed getting old. I love it when it says, uh, from a narrative perspective, Joshua is well uh, old and advancing years. And then Joshua in verse 3 says, guess what? I'm old and well advancing years. years. He affirms that, right? But both here and in chapter 4, he is going to call the people to live in a certain way. He's going to exhort them to go a certain direction. But the basis for those exhortations is grounded, first and foremost, in their need to remember. In particular, to remember God's goodness and his faithfulness to them. Look what he says back in uh, verse 3. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He reminds these people about how God uh, has fought for them. They have seen this time and time again in their uh, conquest of the land. They've seen how God has fought for them, supernaturally has delivered them. Uh, If we look back at chapter 12, we talked about this before, but chapter 12, which reads very dry to us would be a triumph list of all the kings, of all the victories that he attained for these people, a record of all his victories. And it serves for the Israelites as a reminder to them of time and time and time again how God was on their side. And then verses four through five here, he he talks about how God has given you this promised inheritance of this land, this land that has been so long reserved for you. He has finally delivered it to you. Even though the work is not yet complete, God will indeed drive out the remaining people in the land should you remain committed and devoted to him. This is Joshua's way of calling the people to see and to remember all that God had done for them. In fact, remember throughout this whole book, we've seen time and time again these memorial stones being established throughout the land so that the people could look to them and be reminded of God's grace and God's power and God's judgment and all the ways that God has worked towards their good. And he adds greater depth to this in chapter 24, we get to chapter 24, it says in verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel and presented them before God. Notice here, Joshua gathers the people together at where? A place called Shechem. And that may not sound important to you, but it was incredibly significant to the people of Israel. Why? Well, Shechem holds a very special place in the history of Israel. In fact, the very first mention of Shechem is in Genesis chapter 12. And God, to Abraham, tells him, this very spot, this very land, I will give to your descendants. Abraham had no descendants at that time. 
But God, in his grace, promised Abraham, hey, one day your descendants will have this land that you see before you. You see, this is the very spot where it all started. This is the very spot where God's promises to give the Israelites a land and a future hope began. It reminds me of a couple years ago when we celebrated the 80th anniversary of Newcastle Bible Church and we gathered as a church in the parking lot around the original spot where the, the tree stood out there, that giant circular spot in the middle of the parking lot, right? Where men long ago prayed for God to provide a, a place of worship, of a church where people could gather together and praise the great name of our Lord, Right? There's something special, there's something unique about that spot where it all started. And like we did back then, Joshua recounts the great history of God's people and all the way that God has been faithful to bring them to this very spot, this very point. And the rest of this section here, all the way down through verse 13, reads very much like a highlight reel, a sports center top 10, or a, a greatest hits album of all the ways that God has been so good to these people. Beginning with Abraham in verse 2, all the way through how he uh, raised up offspring through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, how he made a great nation out of these people, how he brought them through the exodus, the battles they fought, their preservation in the wilderness for 40 years. And the conclusion reached in verse 13, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. I did this for you. I gave this to you. And as we've seen throughout your long history, it was not dependent upon your works. It was not dependent on how well you did. It was dependent on me. You see, Israel's story is a story of God's redemption and preservation. And so it is for any of you who are here today who have experienced the saving grace of God, isn't it? If you were to recount the story of God's goodness uh, in your redemption and preservation, what would you highlight? What would you want other people to see? As a matter of fact, what do you yourself need to be reminded of? What do you yourself need to frequently see? You see, the motivation for any further call to remain faithful is found first by remembering just how good God has been to you. Uh, such is where Joshua begins, and it's going to serve as the basis for much of what he's going to say moving forward. But next, I want to do something a little bit different. We've looked at the, the front end of this passage, and now I want to actually push the fast forward button, and I want to go to the very end. I want to go to the very end of the story before circling back to the, the substance in the middle. But I want us to see in the concluding verses of chapter 24 about how we need to learn from the faithful examples of the past. We look at in verses 29 to 33, and these closing verses read almost like an obituary of sorts, recounting the legacy of 
three different men. And we looked at the first one a few weeks ago. It is, in fact, Joshua, the the central character uh, outside of God in this very book, the one that bears his name. And we see here how after all these things, after Joshua dies and he goes the way of the earth, he earns and is ascribed the title servant of God. The Lord, something that was always attributed to Moses, but nothing that was attributed to Joshua until this final point in the book. Something that was earned over a lifetime of committed, faithful service to the Lord. And so we see in, in Joshua an example of what faithful leadership looks like. But that leads us to the second individual who's mentioned in this Closing section, verse 32, Joseph. That's kind of an interesting one because Joseph has been long dead for hundreds of years. Joseph has not appeared at all in the book of Joshua. But we see in Joseph a man of great faith. How is that? How is Joseph a man of great faith? Well, that's seen in what's happening here in verse 32. As for the bones of Joseph, which let me just stop you right there. I know all of you have been thinking throughout the book of Joshua, hey, what about the bones of Joseph, right? That's naturally been on the forefront of your mind. Well, Joshua's going to finally tell you now because you've been so curious for 24 chapters. As for the bones of Joseph, that's sarcastic, by the way, in case you didn't get that which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, and it, came and it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Apparently, these people, these Israelites, had brought up Joseph's bones from the land of Egypt, they've been holding them in their sacks here for the last 40 years. What the world is going on? I don't know about you, but it's kind of a little weird, a little gross, personally. But this all goes back to Genesis chapter 50. And in Genesis chapter 50, we see that Joseph, when he was about to die, knew a day was coming. When the Israelites would indeed have their land. Because when Joseph is speaking here in Genesis 50, do you know where the people are? They're in Egypt. It's before they have even become slaves. But Joseph spoke of a day that they would one day be in the land. And he says, when that day comes, I want you to make sure you bring my bones with you. I want my bones to reside in the land that God has reserved for you. And the cool thing is we get a commentator later, a commentary later on in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22 says that by faith, Joseph, when he spoke here, he was speaking by faith, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph saw this all so clearly. He saw a day that was coming when he and the rest of God's people would be in the land. And in faith, he called for his descendants to bring his remains back to this spot, the very spot where his great-grandfather Abraham had received the promise and where his father Jacob had bought a plot of land. 
And he expressed this all while they were in Egypt, well before they had even become slaves for hundreds of years. And still, Joseph had absolute faith that his descendants and his bones would one day reside in the land promised to his forefathers. And just think about God's providence here, right? Joseph was in a land of Egypt that was masterful at preserving bodies and bones, right? Only God in his grace could have allowed for Joseph to be in a land where this could have even be made possible. Notice that Joseph, when he died, was 110 years of age, the exact same age that Joshua is here when he dies. God's providence all throughout this very verse. But above all, we see in Joseph a man of great faith who trusted his faithful God. And the book of Joshua ends in verse 33, interestingly, with Eleazar, the son of Aaron, who also dies. And it says they buried him at Gibneah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given to him in the hill country of Ephraim. You know, we see in Eleazar, the example of faithful service. You know, he's not a guy who is at the forefront much. Uh, he's the son of Aaron. He's the nephew of Moses. Uh, he served for a time as the high priest of the Israelites uh, and was a major player in the distribution of the land throughout uh, to the people. But he was a man who assisted the people in their worship and performed his daily task uh, of helping them, though it could easily go unnoticed. I mean, think about it. We don't talk much about Eleazar, and yet we see time and time again his faithfulness and his steady presence in this book. He too, for his faithfulness, is awarded a place of burial in the land, a reward for a job well done. And so we see in the burial of these three men an end of an era, kind of a, a close of a chapter in Israel's history. And the question now is, as the story comes to a close, what now? These faithful examples, these faithful men, these examples of faith, what do we do now? And how are we going to respond We'll talk about that more in just a moment, but the question before us even this morning is this, how are you, church, seeking to learn from the examples of faithfulness that God has given you in your life, the legacy of great men and women of faith that he has been so gracious to provide you with? Uh, may I even ask this to the older generation as we saw a few weeks ago, how are you yourself seeking to impart faithfulness? to the next generation like Caleb and Joshua did. We can all benefit from learning from the faithful examples of men and women in our life. But the third exhortation I want you to see here this morning as we look at the story is this, that we need to prioritize total submission to God's word. I'm going to take you back to chapter 23 and verses 6 through 11. Notice that verse 6 begins with that word, therefore, in other words, in light of God's faithfulness, in light of God's victories and God's provision of the land, here is what you now need to know. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law. In light of all these things, 
This now is what you are called to do. And once again, Joshua sets God's law forth as the formula for true godly success. It is a grace gift of God that he has given to help his people stay faithful. Why? Verse 7, so that they would not be led astray, so that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, that you may not make mention of the names of their gods, right, or swear by them. In other words, God's law has been given to you to keep you on the right path, to keep you from straying after other lesser gods, Context for us is that you would not be led astray by the lesser things of this world, the things that this world so often says are more alluring or more desirous for you. God's word stands as a gift to you, dear church, to remind you of God's faithfulness and God's provision in the way that is actually going to bring true and lasting blessing to your life. And the caution is here for God's people to cling to him and the wisdom that he gives. And in so doing, they will continually see the success that they've experienced throughout this book. See how often when they live according to God's ways, when they cling to God and God's wisdom, how things go so well for them. You see, church, God's authority is given for your good. His ways are what bring true freedom and life to you. They are not a bondage to you. They are actually for your freedom and for your good. And we could say the opposite is true. And we know that because the very next book, a chapter away from now, in Judges chapter 1, we see what happens when you do not cling We see God's people start to stray and they start to experience bondage and suffering and death because of that choice. Joshua's call to the people here as we've talked about throughout the book is to prioritize total submission to God's word. That no area of your life would be outside the realm and the influence of God's word. So submit yourselves today to knowing and to living out God's word for your life. But the fourth exhortation that Joshua gives this morning is not so much of an encouragement as it is a warning. And that is to beware of the consequences facing a divided heart. To beware of the consequences facing a divided heart. And this is what we get in verses 12 through 16, the remainder of chapter 23. Look at verse 12. And you see that caution found in that word, if. For if you turn back. And cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations. 
This is the warning of the pain and the hardship that will come if they choose to live life their own way. This is something that we've hinted out throughout the book of Joshua, that Israel had control of the land. There was still just a little bit of work to do. There were still a few remnants of Canaanites that had to be dealt with and pushed out completely. And if they weren't, Joshua knew they would become a stumbling block for the people. Simply put, their hearts would become divided in their worship. But these other gods would not bring greater delight or freedom. In fact, look at verse 13. They shall be to you a snare and a trap. What looks like it is going to bring freedom and joy and satisfaction is actually going to trap you. Such is the nature of sin and ungodly desires that look so alluring, that look so safe on the outside. And the reality is it only brings pain and bondage and it will not truly satisfy. That is the warning here, but it only intensifies in the following verses. In verses 14 to 16, we see uh, the glorious nature of God's grace recounted in verse 14. I, it, Joshua says, I'm about to go the way of the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word of the Lord has failed. All has come to pass. Not one thing has failed. God has done everything that he said he would do. But that's important for you to think about. Because God will do both the good things, but God will also bring the hard things if you do not stay devoted to him. We are reminded in verses 15 to 16 of the jealous anger of God that he will not tolerate a divided heart. Just as they had experienced the blessing, they will also experience the cursing if they choose to forsake the way of the Lord. In many ways, this reflects some of the warning passages that we see in the book of Hebrews, the warning for New Testament saints about the, the nature of apostasy, of, of saying that you were devoted to the Lord and acting like you are, but only to fall away. And these warnings are given so that these things would not actually happen. Why does Joshua and the writer of Hebrews do this? Because God sees and uses such warnings as a means to keep his people faithful. That's a grace gift of God that he loves you enough to warn you, not just encourage you, but to warn you to not go this direction. To avoid such folly. Do not think that you can jump back and forth between serving two masters. Jesus reaffirms that. You will either hate the one and love the other. There is no such thing as worshiping God and worshiping the things of this world. Therefore, in light of this, we must heed Joshua's final exhortation this morning. And that is to choose this day to serve the Lord. We see in verse 14, Joshua's call comes on the heels of the historical recap that he gave in verses 1 through 13. It's Joshua's way of saying, therefore, in light of this, how could you do 
anything, but fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. In verse 15, Joshua is telling the people to make a choice. It is decision day. And he is drawing a hard line in the sand. Saying that there's, there's no safe space, there's no base, there's no neutral ground, there's no both and. It's an either or, one side or the other. And the option is you can choose the gods of your past or the, the gods that uh, are potentially before you in the promised land or you can serve the Lord our God, the one who... May I remind you for the last 13 verses has shown his faithfulness and his power and his might and his glory time and time and time and time again. Which one do you want to choose? (laughs) And Joshua isn't ambiguous as to what his decision is. Joshua's made his choice. As for me and my house, It's a no-brainer. We're going to serve the Lord. In verses 16 to 18, the response of the people is actually quite positive. The people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Uh, We're going to stay faithful to the Lord. They commit to following in the footsteps of their leader, Joshua. Praise God, right? But Joshua does something Interesting, and I dare say surprising in verses 19 to 20, because his response to the people in verse 19, you are not able. (laughs) This is not exactly the tactic that they teach you in evangelism 101. Call people to to faith in God, and they say, I want it. And you say, well, you're not able to. Kind of a little bit of a momentum killer, right? So why does he do it? What is he saying here? Well, I think the answer is found in the reasoning that he gives there. You are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God and he is a jealous God. And he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. This seems so strange to us about the nature of God. what, What is going on here? But Joshua is showing the people, or rather he is really slowing the people down and calling them not to be hasty in this decision. Yes, they, they need to definitively decide today who they are going to serve, but they should not be flippant in how they approach a holy and just God. Because God is holy, he will not tolerate their love for sin and their divided hearts. Because God is jealous, he will not be shared among all the other affections as if he's just another toy to be played with amongst different people. No, he is holy and he is jealous and church, that is a good thing. We want a God who is holy and jealous. But that also makes things difficult, doesn't it? see, God is not interested this morning in your lip service. God is not interested this morning in your checkbook. What God is really interested in this morning is your heart. God wants your heart. 
Joshua understood this, and he wanted the people to understand that. And for us New Testament saints, I think this points to a bigger reality that while your decision for the Lord is important, it is only God who can truly change your heart. Joshua, Joshua can't make these people trust and obey. I think I feel that tension in him this morning. As a leader who so desires the next, faith, next generation to walk with the Lord, he, he can't force them to do it. He can't do it on their behalf. And you can tell that he is concerned for this next generation that's going to be raised up. It's completely outside his control. And you can almost sense the uneasy nature of Joshua as the final chapter on this book closes. Verses 21 to 24, he gets the same response from the people in light of this. They, they say to him, no, we will not forsake the Lord. We will serve the Lord. People said to Joshua, verse 24, the Lord our God, we will serve. His voice, we will obey. And so Joshua, as this book closes, he establishes a covenant with these people. Not a covenant that's dependent upon the Lord, but a covenant that is a promise that they are making to one another to stay faithful to the Lord. And he sets up, for the last time, one final memorial stone in this book. A stone that serves as a firm testimony to them of the decision that they made that day. How did they respond? Well, it only took one chapter before the next generation began to turn away from God. By the time we get to Judges chapter 1, they fall into the repeated cycle of false worship, bondage, repentance, and deliverance. A cycle they repeat time and time and time and time again. What is an empty feeling like this at the end of a book like Joshua produce and people like us this side of the cross because that, that's kind of a depressing end, isn't it? Knowing what's coming just around the corner. How do we combat the uneasiness that some of us may feel as this book draws to a close? Well, the good news for us is that we have access to a hope that this generation had not yet experienced and so if there was one final exhortation that's not seen in this text, but I could say is an honorable mention for you this morning as we draw this series to a close, it would be this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The truth is your God is still a holy and a jealous God you too need a new heart and a perfect life, both of which you are unable to produce on your own. It is God who must change you, not your own willpower, not your own decisions, but by choosing Jesus today, the choice that you are making is one of surrender. It's to wave the white flag. It's to surrender your pride. It's to surrender your effort. It's to surrender your own self-reliance. And instead, you are choosing your need for a replacement. You're choosing your need for a savior. 
And I would encourage you today, just like Joshua, don't delay. Choose this day to serve the Lord. And if you have made that decision and you have chosen to follow the Lord, the call is no different for you. In fact, that's what the author of Hebrews writes for us in chapter 12. He says we are to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race of faith, looking to Jesus, who is not just the author, who is not just the starter, who is not just the savior at the front end, but he is also the perfecter. He is the finisher. He is the finish line. And it's because of that he is the very one who will keep you faithful to the end. Not because of what you are able to do, but because of what he has already done. And so, Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you that in Jesus Christ, we have an even better Joshua. We have a warrior. We have a fighter, one who has done the work that none of us are able to do. Even as we celebrate the Christmas season, we are reminded that you, Jesus, are the Savior. You are the Deliverer. You were the one who was able to bring us out of our bondage to sin. You were the one who was able to bring us into everlasting life and hope. And so we pray that we would not cling to the lesser things of this world, that we would not be led astray, that we would not, Lord, seek to follow in the ways of the wicked. Help us to turn our eyes to Jesus in a world full of distractions, in a world full of all kinds of enticements. I pray that you would help us run the race well by helping us to finish by setting our eyes on you and the glory that awaits for you are far more marvelous than anything else and so we give you the praise and we give you glory in jesus name amen